0: Grinders, welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD. You can find me on Twitter right there. And this is the show where we we normally would go over yesterday's slate. Then we talk a little bit about today's slate in in the NBA. But uh, but there's, no, there's not there's nothing going on. There's that there it should it should have been a day off. But no, I go I go every day. I see people in the YouTube chat. Hit the thumbs up button. Give me those dummy thumbs for the, for the apple juice. Dustin Hogue, Kevin Copeland, Alan Alexander, Card Fan, Gerald Miller, Jacob Calloway, Jesse, Matt Mears, Meat Plow, Ben Cares, Dave Wagner, Lodell. Welcome, as always, on Mondays. Mondays, it's Mondays with McCool. With uh, with the, my fellow co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. It's a 15-hour Audio masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. That's what I call it. author. James McCool. James, you, you took off this weekend. This weekend was... Uh, it, it, life without DFS sometimes is actually pretty good, I, especially when it's NBA. It, it feels like the past couple of days. Outside of, obviously, if you played the All-Star game yesterday, showdown, you had the Embiid and Simmons get ruled out. We We couldn't even avoid late news in a, in an all-star game, but doesn't, it, doesn't it make it feel like isn't life less stressful life. So it moves so much slower and so much calmer when there's no NBA DFS.
1: Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I did want to play this weekend and we were talking about it before the show and I, I thought about jumping into a little bit of NHL. I thought about jumping into a little bit of MMA I, uh, you know, I still have like League of Legends Counter-Strike, which I'll play, but I wanted to try to jump into something new because without NBA, I did kind of feel like a little like, like, what do I do with my hands? You know, like it's, it's 4.30 PM and I'm not sweating over running models and like trying to figure out what the hell to do with all these light scratches. So I was thinking about playing those, but it was nice to have kind of like a day off, you know, and, and like a couple days off because I didn't play much Saturday or Sunday. Um, all I did was just like run the models and hang out the, with the kid. And it, it is kind of like, it's important, I think. And I tell this to people all the time that taking breaks, you know, you got to like refresh your mental a little bit. The daily grind is hard. And I think that the daily grind has actually gotten harder over this last year because of the way that sports have been laid out. And with how many more daily sports we have now, like if you're like me, and are interested in the esports side of things, and like League of Legends DFS and Counter Strike DFS. And we just had Call of Duty come back this these last couple of weeks. Those daily sports they do end up taking a toll on you a little bit. So that that's why the All Star break is so important for content creators is you can take a couple of days to just be like, nope, not doing it. Just gonna like relax. I'm gonna sit on the couch. Gonna watch YouTube videos for no reason uh, because I don't have to deal with late scratches. So. Um, it is like NBA <laughs> with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons getting ruled out. That is just like quintessential of this NBA season of like, we can't even make it through the freaking all-star game without having somebody get scratched due to COVID and having like a couple players be grossly underpriced because of it. Come on. It's just, it's wild. So uh, it was nice to take a little bit of a break. You know, we're back this week and we'll be closing out the NBA season through the next couple months um when baseball season starts like I will care so little about NBA it's not funny um but yeah it was it was a nice little break over the last couple days for sure
0: right and I played I played MMA for the first time in eight months on on Saturday because I saw it it was a it was a pay-per-view card three title fights so three you have three five round fights 15 fights and none of them being canceled I mean one of the main reasons that I didn't want to play MMA anymore while I was playing another sport is because fights were getting canceled. So now it's like, now I have to monitor those lineups. I mean, the best part of like PGA and MMA is one, you there's that you don't need to know as much. I I, there's not the the correlation doesn't matter. Like, I mean, you're essentially like, like an MMA as for the most part, there are certain cases where this could, it could work out. But for the most part, you're not rostering two fighters in the same fight. So, like outside of that, none of the fights correlate to one another. So you're just basically, if you're playing a large field, just build lineups that are going to be as unique as possible. And and you you how much do you need to know? No. Now obviously, I look into I look in. Okay, what what you look into the the betting lines and you go what fights are more likely to end inside the distance? You know, like the styles, like a grappler, striker. So you could gain like you know what, what the upside of certain certain underdogs are, certain fights are. Uh, so, but but outside of that, you could like you could you could make lineups. So on a fifteen fight card, I'm like, like I was playing these ten fight cards where, like finding unique lineups like very difficult. Where where the the, the plus whatever million underdog for the you know like Megan Anderson against Nunes this past uh, Saturday. Saturday like on a 10, 9, 10 fight card, like they'd be like 12% owned because how else are you supposed to get different? You have, and how are you supposed to jam in like top end players? You go, okay, we're going to, I hope she scores well or does something. But on on these types of cards, you find multiple fighters that are single digit owned and especially in the mid range. So like I had, I, I, I centered my strategy around like three, Single-digit owned fighters. Now, now one did well and two didn't, so it didn't work out overall. But I just thought it was so much more intriguing. But at five fifteen Eastern, everything locks. Like that's it. The, the, I don't. The, I could just sit back and turn on ESPN Plus and just like I'm just. I'm, I guess I'm going to watch people beat the crap at each other for the next seven to eight hours and just whatever it is, it is. But. Yeah, I have to admit that MMA DFS is is what is is the probably the only DFS if you play GPPs. Now, if you play cash, it's a different story. But if you play GPPs in MMA, it's the only. I think it's the only DFS sport. It, correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe maybe in esports it's it maybe similar or something. I don't know. Name any other sport where if you're a GPP player, you could literally be drawn dead in uh, a minute into the slate like draw it to like know that you cannot possibly win a gpp 60 seconds into a slate
1: i'm trying to think if there's any sport that, that happens like because
0: in, in, in mma you have the first you know the first fight you know it, it, it ends in the first inside the distance for stoppage in the first minute yeah you know a knockdown, a to take you know it, it, next thing you know, the first the, the 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 underdog of the first fight has 121 points. Yeah, and it's just like, well, I didn't have any of that. Like I, like yeah. he's 12 percent owned. So it's like he's owned enough, and you're like, I guess I ain't winning 200 thousand today. Like just like immediately, just like literally, just like 60 seconds in, like I'm not drawing the first place ever at all for the next in, seven. In hours. A
1: best of in a best of one slate on League of Legends. And especially in something like CBLOL, which is the, the Brazilian league that they run like once every like two weeks, something like that. There are going to be times where there, it's something called an invade. Where like at the, beginning, at the beginning of the game, both teams start on either side of the map. And then usually what they do is they defend their own sides. They stand and they, they like defend their own sides. But sometimes what will happen is one team will just clump together, all five players, and they will just go spearhead right into the other team. And the only time that I can think of where like you would actually be dead in GPPs is if you had exposure to the team that lost that fight on the first game of like the entire thing. And like, if you had exposure to that one, you're dead if that team lost that fight, because like they will not come back from a five kill deficit period point blank at all. Like that's just not the way that it works. But yeah, with, with MMA, you're right. That, within the first minute, like you can literally have what somebody just runs up, does a flying knee and knocks out the favorite. And it's like 10% owned and you don't have them like you're screwed. Right. I, I right. mean, so, like someone that, in chat is met- mentioning NASCAR, NASCAR that could happen. Right. Oh yeah. Trash
0: in the first, first lap. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. That could happen. And, 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 right. And oh, I have that guy and you, you, you. No, but see, see, those are the instances where you would need, you would need to have heavy exposure to a guy that duds, like we're still we're still talking about. Obviously, you could be dead sixty seconds into a slate. Did you did you have Paul George? You have one hundred percent of your roster. Oh like, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Of course. Yes. You're you could be dead like that. But that's because you ha- you're overexposed to an injury. I'm talking about like you don't have a, a guy scores so many points a, a, a person a, something something that you could roster. Score so many points in, sick, in literally the first. Because in, in NASCAR, how do you? You can't score. Them. You can't win win the race, right? You can't have a, a driver that's like, oh, if you don't have this driver, you're dead. Sixty yeah. seconds in, because even a home even a lead off home run in baseball, like okay, I yeah, like to find a home runs. run elsewhere. That's that's not like I can't. I'm not going to be dead. But you could have hundred and twenty plus points, hundred and thirty plus point fighter now because they have the bonus now you get 25 extra points for inside of a minute so imagine a, 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 a couple of strikes a knockdown and a ko i mean so like that would be 90 plus 25 is 125 125 plus the 10 point knock yeah you get like 130 points in that scenario and it's like 130 points, you're most likely going to be in the optimal in MMA
1: Yeah.
0: on any GPP. And then you're just sitting there going, uh, I played 20 lineups. I don't have any of this guy. Like, close, just close. I mean, yeah, you, you could cash, obviously, but you, you ain't going to win. Yeah. I, I just don't think that there is, is anything like that. I mean, yes, the injuries on, I have too much of a guy that's getting zero. I'm talking about, I have none of a guy that has a billion points 60 seconds into a slate.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I and that's you know one of the reasons why people like this sweat of MMA is that like every single fight is so consequential and they're they're like they're condensed environments like they're independent things that happen. So I, I mean I understand the appeal of like why people like MMA and um, like for for people like uh, like Brian Jester right over at Occupy Fantasy that dude loves MMA DFS because his entire thing is like build unique lineups. That's it. Throw that's why I like, it. I'm, the, yeah. I'm the
0: That's why NFL Showdown. like, I don't like the slates like NFL showdown when we have very condensed offenses where like the player pool is not big yeah. enough. I, I like the cult, you know, when the Colts are on NFL showdown where it's like, Oh, they throw like six different guys Yeah. And the Buccaneers. It's like, okay, I can, I, there are a multitude of ways to go that are, that are projected well and still reasonable. And yeah. then, uh, MMA, the same thing. When that's why, like when there's nine fights, it's like it's almost it's almost worthless to play. I, I in, yeah. in large field GPPs, but fifteen, like give me fifteen, and I could find some some discrepancies. And there were there there were plenty of you know right. arbitrage situations. I mean, Amanda Nunes was sixty three percent owned, and technically you didn't need her. I mean, she was like she scored like ninety eight points, which is great. I mean, she won in a minute and a half, but but that's the problem when she's 9,600. Like, you don't, there, there were multiple, there were, there, I think, I think nine or 10 fighters that scored over 100 points.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So like, you don't need a 90 point. The, the highest, the price person, you know, scoring less than 100, like, you don't, you, don't, you don't need them. But she was still in the winning lineup. So there were tons of unique lineups that didn't either were not rostered or just didn't get there. I, I, I had the ones that didn't get there. I had the ones where it's like, oh, every This is the unique lineup, but you know, I got seven points from you know, like yeah. Jordan Espinosa. It's like, okay, well, he he got killed, right? <laughs> he got smothered on the mat for three rounds, so he couldn't even score any points anyway. But but I mean, I'm getting the guy at seven percent ownership. So yeah. like, but I'm I'm just, I'm just saying that I I I prefer MMA because of that, mm-hmm. and I think with. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a controversial statement, possibly. Oh, possibly. Okay, maybe. Uh, with MLB coming up, because obviously we're talking about sports that maybe people don't play as much. Uh, I, out of the major DFS sports, I think MLB is the one where you you could you could be successful without knowing much about the sport. Compared to compared to NBA, compared to NFL, yeah, like I'm obviously like PGA and MMA. I mean, the correlation is limited, if any. Yeah, I mean, those sports. Yeah, you could feel free to close in golf. You could close your eyes and just spend 50k of your salary and throw it against six six golfers. Yep, you're never going to be that far behind or anything, and probably the same in MMA. But those are like solo sport. I mean, I mean that's any any sport like that with individual tennis like there's no correlation. There's, there's really, you're, you're limiting the amount of variables you even have to consider from a gameplay perspective, but in the team sports, like I, I think ML, MLB because most people look at MLB and go, wow, there's a lot of stats because baseball is the most stat intensive saber metrics. I mean, you have tons of stuff yeah. there, but from a DFS perspective of playing the game of DFS, I think MLB requires the least amount of
1: knowledge on the actual sport. Yeah, I, well, no, I think I can agree with that. Um, the The only argument against that statement would be that everybody has at least some sort of aggregated projection system. No, I, no, it. no, no.
0: See, you're not
1: even getting my controversial thing. I think you could win at baseball
0: without projections.
1: No, no, no. I and I hear you. Like I, I'm, I hear you. I, that that would be. I think that I would agree with that because like the, the only thing that you have to understand about MLB is that stacking is God. Is that stacking is like that, that as long as you stack together teams and like fill out pitchers that hopefully don't suck, uh, you can probably find some success. I think I'd agree with that.
0: Right. Cause I think in NBA, people would say NBA is the most predictive because it's the lowest variance, but the thing is, is that even in projections, you need to you need to allocate minutes. Mm-hmm. You need, and, and which means you need to know the teams. You need, I mean, that's that's the human element of of NBA projections. Mm-hmm. Of this guy's out, this guy, wh- how are they going to run this rotation? Well, you need to know enough about basketball to know you don't you don't look at go, uh, you know, Porzingis is out, uh, Bolban thirty six minutes. Like you can't you can't just do that because he'll yeah, so be in every that. lineup if that's the case. But he's not going to play thirty six minutes. In NFL, you have to allocate Russian share, target share, right? And NFL, they
1: gonna... NFL I think you actually have to know the most.
0: Right, I think, yeah, uh, truthfully, yes. I think, I think, correct. You would have to know the most. Now, in in the grand scheme of what we're talking about, like, still have to play DFS as a game well. I think that's 90% mm-hmm. of it. But I think in baseball, if I didn't use any projections, if I didn't make a model, if I didn't use, I didn't use Cardi's bat projections. If I didn't use any, just nothing. All I need to know to be competitive in DFS for GPPs, at least, is uh, if you just in your mind said five three on DraftKings. If you said you, you need to stack five three on DraftKings and and play two pitchers that aren't playing the teams that you're stacking, you're going to be competitive because uh, if you just simply put you whatever whatever team you want to do five three, one t- five three means a five a five man stack of one team and a three man stack of another team now obviously you could do five one 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 but that makes it more complicated i'm talking about for someone that like if i said mike trout they'd go who right, right? someone that doesn't know anything about baseball and you go okay i want what i want you to do is pick one t- pick two teams that fit in positionally that are five three and then whatever two pitchers fit and truthfully Whatever two pictures you want. Like, don't even, don't even, like, you don't even know who these people are, right? I think in GPPs and large field GPPs, you could still, you could still be competitive by just random. By it, and if you want to go by, uh, I just have to look at team totals, right? I'm just, I'm just going to look at team totals and, and the pitcher line, right? Because a minus 250, you know, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, like, you could tell. It's, oh, I'm going to stack against these. Guys. No, you're probably not. Uh, but if you just looked at that everything else woba iso any any uh, war right uh, you know, whatever what, whatever sierra and, and Babbitt, and i can just name them all name all the advanced stats you could just throw out and like pl- if you played the whole season doing that i i think i think you i think you could be profitable you would at least be competitive but in nba if you didn't know and you just say I'm not gonna care about minutes. I'm not gonna look at projections at all. Like I think I think you're dead in NBA, because projections are so much more accurate and, and, and mm-hmm. closer to what's gonna happen. And in NFL, I think you'd be dead also because like in NFL, it's still like, oh, I'm gonna take a quarterback and two of the wide receivers and run it back. And like still at the end of the day, you kinda kinda have to know a, a little bit, a little bit more. But in MLB, I really think you could close your eyes and say, uh Pirates five, the Rockies three, and two pitchers, and, and just like, and however they fit, they fit. And if you want to go into an optimizer and say, I want a hundred lineups that are five three, and just put zero and just randomize whatever the projections, just put a randomness hundred percent, and just let it do its thing. Like, uh, and it, to me, that's the, the reason is because in GPPs, it's still not enough people stack mm-hmm. that
1: uh, even even now. That I think, I think that's doable. There, there are, and it's every single year, man. It's every single year that you get about two and a half weeks into the MLB season before somebody says, Well, the winning lineup like didn't have a stack. Like, should we actually be stacking every year without fail? Two and a half weeks in. And I, and I will make a joke about it on Twitter two and a half weeks in. Um, Because people don't, everybody wants to think about DFS as like being a way of predicting the future and like saying, oh, well, you know, technically you can capture a home run from every single player on the slate and you don't have to stack. Technically you could do that. Absolutely. Go to any betting site, any betting site that you choose and put together a parlay of eight home run props any site and see how astronomical the odds are that you just got offered on that, on that player prop parlay. Like, just go, just go see what it is. It is massive. Like the the chances of you predicting that many home runs accurately, especially like this this is if you did not have a salary cap and you were just able to take Mike Trout, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso. Like if you were able to fill out a roster with dudes who actually do hit home runs at a relatively decent clip, you know, we're talking like 35 plus home run per year type guys. Even then, the chances of you putting together a player prop that is all home runs is still going to be just this massive, massive payoff because the odds are so are just so huge. So stacking in MLB is really the only thing you have to care about. And you mentioned vomit stacks all the time. When, when you're going through MLB and that's one of the things like people just refuse to stack together teams that they perceive as having low upside. But I mean, everybody else is thinking that too. If you have two pitchers that are both 40 plus percent owned, you know, you have Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole on the same slate and everybody is like taking the back of the order of like the Red Sox, something like that. And you're able to get the top of the order of two teams that everybody thinks sucks in GPPs, you're likely more alive than the people who are taking the terrible players rather than the players from the top of the order from the team that everybody perceives bat. So, yeah, the MLB um, with, with NHL or with NFL, I, I think that uh, the, the knowledge of understanding who is actually going to be on the field with the quarterback is one of the things that you kind of need to know. The knowledge of understanding injuries, the knowledge of understanding what running backs actually are going to be on the goal line, like all those things, you have to have that knowledge. You don't have to have any of that knowledge in MLB. I like modeling for MLB because it is so stats-based, and I feel like I can do a very good job of extracting upside and, and potential upside from players because of the stats that I use. But if you didn't have any stats at all, you could literally just stack the Marlins all year. You could just stack the Orioles all year. And, like, eventually, over 100 games, you're probably going to hit once. Like, you'll probably get one game where they put up 12 runs. The Pirates can put up 12 runs. Like, Colin Moran, that dude hits balls hard. So, like, you could do that over the course of a year. And that, that's, like, that's something that I've always been interested in. And um, I think that it was Anthony Miko last year talked about um, just, like, taking a team and being like, I am stacking this team all year long. It does not matter the state or does not matter the slate. Every single slate I'm going to have a stack of this team. And over the course of 100 games, like you have a sample that large, eventually like you might hit the nuts with them. And and the chances are probably pretty good. It's kind of like flipping coins. Like if you're not trying to guess when the coin is going to come up heads, you're going to do a better job in the long term rather than trying to predict when it's going to happen. So I I think that's kind of like a cool little like theory thing of saying, well, you're just going to 5-3 all year. You're going to 5-3 of these teams that everybody thinks sucks. And, uh, and you know, you're hoping that you're just going to hit the nuts once when they're 1% owned because they'll be 1% owned all year. Right, but well, you don't even
0: have to think of it that way. I mean, like I, I clarified in the chat about, I'm not saying that you can be profitable in MLB DFS, GPPs, without using any projections. I'm talking about being competitive. I think that's a better way, like, Yes, I use, I use projections at MLB to do the same thing I do in any other sport. Projection versus leverage versus correlation. It's the same exact thing. But to su- if, if, if projections didn't exist in any sport, let's say no one could use projections or you're coming in going, I'm purposefully choosing not to use any form of projections. Which sport would you be the most competitive in in, in large field GPPs, to me, it's, it's baseball. If, would you do that instead of using projections? Of course not. I'm, of course I'm going to look, look at this. But, I'm, but from, a, from a game theory perspective, it's, I think in MLB, it's more that the game of DFS is so much more important than, uh, than the projections because of how high variances it is and how most batters get about the same amount of opportunities, and uh, and because because I, I, there was a question earlier uh, in the chat from Jacob Calloway, because like he asked, like, are you more likely to avoid a one-off from a popular stack to the same degree that you're likely to avoid one-offs from popular NFL stacks, or is there nuance in MLB that alters the frequency? No, I agree with that. I, I mean, a lot of the time, like, I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to play the one-off of the popular, if if the the Dodgers are going to be popular, like having a 28% on a 12 game slate, having a 28% owned Cody Bellinger. Right. To me, to me, is 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 stupid in in an outfield spot, especially And you go, well, if if he gets there, I mean, the Dodgers get the stack wins. Like if anything, if I'm going to play Bellinger, I'm going to play him in a stack with a lot with the ninth hitter or something and go like, okay, I'm going to do it that way. The, the only the only time where where uh, those types of one-offs I use is when, like, they're by far... Like, the only time I can't use them is if I leave, like, 2000 on the table. Like, there's some cheap stacks where, well, like, I'm going to fit in some $6,000 hitter and there's only one of them. And it's like, do I play that guy or do I play the guy at 5300 I mean, and, and truthfully, it doesn't really matter, but projection-wise, you're going to be giving up a point of projection if you don't just play the popular guy, but it, but this comes into the same types of the same types of things we talk about in any DFS sport. I already have a 2% owned stack, right? A five man stack where the highest owned guy is 3.6%. Yeah.
1: That's you, the you ain't worry. Owned guy. So yeah, now if I have a
0: one-off. one-off Bellinger at 28% owned, then it, to me, it's not that big of a deal anymore. If he's the highest rejected guy, but I don't seek out those situ. I mean, I don't seek out those situations. At all typically, batters because of the, the, variance I'm, I'm once guys are 20 on, 10 plus, uh, game slates. Once, once batters start getting 20 plus percent owned, I'm, I'm there. Are, there are a lot of slates. I play zero. I mean, like I'm just, I'm playing 60 to 80 lineups and I've, I just have, I literally have nothing just like if the Red Sox are chalk. If, okay. If they, if they, if they get there, then I just lose. And then that's just, it's just the way it is. You're right. Next day. Right. Yeah. Coors. You know, oh, go! Oh. the Cardinals are underpriced heading into the first game at Coors. So now, because you know, that's a lot of times DraftKings does that. The first game, they don't realize that the visiting team has not been priced up enough. So you have guys at 3,800 and 4,500 heading at the Coors. You're like, okay, this team's going to be mega owned. I have no problem. Just like, just xing them out. Like, because it's baseball. Like in basketball, you'd never do that. Like in fact you'd be the, the other way in basketball if if uh, you oh, oh we accidentally uh, we accidentally priced the Lakers down and LeBron's forty five hundred and AD is you worth that like him. you just you just play him yeah. right right like, because they're obviously going to get there like ninety nine percent of the time but in baseball they don't so like if if twenty five percent of the lineups in the entire contest have stacks from this game like I just hit that X button go X X X X X X X and you go, I hope that's a three to two game. If anything, sometimes I even roster the pitcher. I'll go, well, are you gonna roster a pitcher in cores? Why not? He's gonna be none-owned, none right? Is it why? It's correlated. If that stack doesn't go off, maybe the pitcher did well. So why don't why don't why don't I get double, I get double leverage off of that. Something I mean, and then and then the other strategy that you could use, these are strategies you could use without projections, is Whoever the most popular uh, on DraftKings, whoever the most popular, the overly popular SP two is, stack against that guy. Never the SP one. See that people take that the wrong way because SP ones. If you have a Degrom, a Cole, a Verlander, you know those types of guys. A lot of times it's hard to stack they, Even if they do badly, it's never that badly where the stack like just goes off and unless they get to the bullpen. But typically, Chris Sale is not going to get hit up to the point of stupidity. But the SP, when it's when it's you know everyone's playing Degrom at eleven six, and then uh, Pablo Lopez at sixty eight
1: hundred. Julio Teheran, man, right? Julio Julio Teheran, right?
0: He's seventy five hundred, and then you know whatever, and and the wind's blowing in or something something like that, and he's he's going to be thirty six percent owned because he's the popular SP two. It's like that's the type of guy. Then it's like I'm going to stack against him. And you get, because you get, it's not only the leverage against the popular stacks and the batter wise, you all 36% of people that have him are getting negative points now. So like you get, you get even more relative value from doing that. Now, should you do that every slate? Well, everything slate dependent. But I'm talking about, these are strategies that you could use that are independent of projections. That if you just went into a slate and said, I'm not going to even look the numbers. I don't even, I don't even know who the players are. Never heard of these guys. Mike Trout, who? Who's that guy? Who's Christian L- Yelich? I have no idea. And you just said, okay, you looked at ownership and said, oh, this, this 7k pitcher is going to be uh 40% owned for whatever reason. And you go, uh, well, who are they facing? Well, they're facing the White Sox or something or the Cubs. And you go, okay, I'm going to take five guys from that. And then I have to pair these five guys with three other guys from some other team. And then I have to roster two pitchers. Like, how are, wouldn't you be competitive? Like, I'm, would you be profitable at the end of the season doing this? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, you'd be playing DFS as a game. It, 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 optimally, I mean, you would be you would have an actual plus EV strategy as a whole over the course of 162 game season. I don't think you could duplicate that type of like if you had this strategy in basketball or in football. Because even in football, it's like, oh, it's the vomit style, oh, Stack the Jets every week. Well, like that, that, trust me, that didn't work out. Like that, that still doesn't work <laughs> out, right? In NBA, you can't do that because the what correlation? What, and as I just go in and uh, and play LeBron every slate, like you can't play Giannis LeBron and just jam in like you, and then you say jam in thirty six hundred dollars guys, and it's like, well, which ones? Let's like, there's no like game theory strategy where I could just tell someone. Like this is what you do for this team sport and just, just five, three, two pitchers and stack against a popular SP two and just do that every slate. And you, you, I can't, I can't say that you don't have a shot at being
1: profitable or winning a GPP, but I can't say, can you say that in any other sport? Not in any of the major sports. You can definitely say it for League of Legends. You can definitely say it for League of Legends. Like you can go into League of Legends, um, because the way that you build for League of Legends is very, very similar to baseball, um, where you're building a four-three uh, pretty much every single slate, um, and that's because the correlations are exceptionally high for League of Legends. It's a zero-sum game between two teams, where if one team wins and puts up 18 kills, uh, the other team died 18 times. Like it, it is very, if a team wins, they do well. If team loses, they do badly. So you could uh, basically in League of Legends in the same way look at things and say, okay, well. Um, top eSports is gonna be 60% owned on the slate. Who are they facing? I'm just gonna take their opponent. they're, they're gonna be 10% owned on the slate and if they win, then you beat 60% of the field simply by 60 percent of the field having exposure to all that all those losses and all those deaths. So in league of legends, yes, but in any major sport, no, uh, baseball, one of the things about baseball is that I think that ownership, you, you mentioned uh, when a player gets above 20% owned, you're just like, I don't want any part of him. And that's because the the probability of a player hitting a home run on any given slate is basically less than 25%, no matter who it is. It literally does not matter. Like Giancarlo Stanton does not have more than like a 25 to 30% chance of hitting a home run on any given slate. So if he ends up being 45% owned, like I don't want that. That's, that's twice as owned as he probably should be. Um, I, I actually, I had a question for you about ownership in terms of like assessing it for a slate. I was talking about Showdown yesterday with the All-Star game being, you know, the All-Star game. And I was talking about Showdown specifically. And I had mentioned that you can almost look at ownership as the actual price of the player rather than their salary in DFS. Would you agree with that? Well, for large field GPPs,
0: yeah, because your goal is to be unique. Yeah. So like I, I care in Showdown, I care so much more about ownership product did I do again about the projection at all? I mean, as long as they're going to see the court, as long as they're going to see the field, I mean, like, like yeah, I'm probably not in NBA showdowns. I'm not. I'm not rostering guys that are they're back of the bench. They may not even get six minutes in the game because how much can they score in an NBA game? But in football, football, I don't mind playing the players. They're going to see four snaps. Like I, I if they're going to be two percent owned, and I need a two percent owned guy in order to make a, a unique lineup, then obviously the ownership matters more, but that's, but that's showdown, that's large field GPPs in showdown where out of those three levers, right? We have projection, correlation, leverage. I mean, the top one is leverage because yet when you got, when you got, when you get 20, only you have to roster six players and you only have 20 to choose from. And the field is 70,000 entries. I mean, like, how do you expect to win first place by yourself or at least with less amount of people by, Oh, I'm going to play the best projected player. So it's like, great. You're going to be duplicated 1700 times. Like that's, that's, that's negative EV in the long run. So, so to me, the own to me in general, ownership to me from a gameplay perspective matters more than the projection to begin with. I agree. I know I always say, look at the projections, look at the projections, look at the, what does the projection say? You know, those types of things. But to me, the ownership is the most important thing. And in fact, you could probably infer the projections from the player projections from the ownership. So let's say on Rotogrinders Premium, which you could get $10 off your first month, click on the link in the description. If 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 we gave you ownership projections and no player projections. So we just, if I just told you, uh if I told you Garrison Matthews is 38% owned on a slate. Like you could infer that obviously, like at least one of Westbrook or Beeler is out, right? You could you could take you you could infer a lot of things and go, well, if if he's thirty two hundred and he's going to be thirty eight percent owned, like he has to be owned like that for a reason, yeah, right? If you can, oh Luca, Luca is is it's a six game slate and Luca is forty eight percent owned, it's like okay, well, obviously there's going to be some cheap small forwards or power forwards because if everyone's paying up at a guard spot. Like, what's the value of powerful? Like, I don't need to even know projections at that point because they would obviously be, the the market is efficient enough. It's not efficient, but it's at least directionally efficient enough that it would mean something. Now, but to me, ownership projections are the hardest thing to project. In fact, a lot of times, even at roto grinders, I don't agree with the ownership projections. I look and go, now nope, he's going to be 10% more owned than that. Or this guy that the that oh, 12% down, he's going to be 3% down. Like, players can get condensed so much more. Uh, Jamino uses a model that has manual input, but is mostly, you know, ag- algorithmically putting it together. Uh, but that human beings don't act that way. So to me, my skill is more in the own, in the leverage side, in the ownership side, and, and less in the projection. I mean, it's, it's, it's evident even in, in our own course, you're the, you're the projection guy. right I say to look at the projections, but I don't build my own model. You build your own model. You have your own models. I look at other people's models, but I'm looking at other people's models because that's what other people are looking at. Like I, I think in DFS, uh, there's a very small percent of players that make their own model, that have their own that have their own model. You'll obviously see it in the higher stakes more. in the lower stakes but and then after that after that small percentage of people that have projections their own projections there's like a a wide amount of players that use some type of public publicly available projections subscribe to a site you know roto grinders and a bunch of others they use your model okay so they're looking at that why can't so i'm looking at that also Okay, so what, what advantage? I, 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 could see, I could see exactly the same thing that you could see. And you know what that does? That gives me insight in what other people are going to roster, right? And then how do I take advantage of the variance of the sport in order? Well, this guy shouldn't be this owned. And that guy, this construction shouldn't be as owned as it is. How do I, how do I win this GPP? Based on that 95% of my competitors are either using no model or a model that I could view. So to me, the most important thing is rejecting ownership and projecting what my opponents are going to do. The, the, the small percentage of people that have their own proprietary models, that may be one or two percentage points better than the publicly available ones, maybe. The ones that are publicly available are pretty good, okay? So it's, you're not going to get, it's not you're not going to look at a, a Roto-Grinders projections and go, oh, I'm going to play, you know, Garrison Matthews when he's, you know, whatever. And and then you look at some other model, and he's he's rejected for eight points. We project him for twenty four, and this one project. You're not going to see those discrepancies, right? So to me, the only the the people that use their own models that are better are only going to be somewhat one percent, two percent. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes their models are actually worse. So, being the fact that I could see all of that, how important are projections in and of themselves other than the starting point like I I that I mean this is what I say it's like projections are the starting point of the game because either everyone has them or if you don't you're dead like yes if you don't if you don't if you oh, I don't get projections at all I don't get all this math stuff so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go oh Zion's gonna have a great game today and think I'm gonna win like that yeah those people are dead so the, to me, that's the start. The starting point is the projection. But past that, people are like, well, how, now I'm going to put together lineups with no actual actual game theory involved in it. And it's like, no, no, that's that's where I focus on. So I can look and go, that, that's why that's why I say the communal of the ownership sum is a guideline. I look at some of that and go, well, this, this guy isn't going to be this owned, and this guy, and like, yeah, oh, the ownership sum is 214. Is that good? It's like, well, do you agree with it? <laughs> Do you, you're right, Do you, is that going to change? Especially in NBA, is that going to change? Right, we have so many changes from five thirty to seven. That dude, any any ownership projection you find around the industry, how it's going to be so volatile?
1: It is. How, so how many
0: people are going to react to this news versus that news versus late news versus? So this number, we you, a grinders could project a guy for eighteen ownership. At, at one point, at, at no, 30% ownership at one point. And then a half an hour before, it's like, oh, it's going to be 6% owned. And I'm like, nope, he's going to be 18% owned. You go, how do you know? Well, if everyone reacted to the news, he should be 6% owned, but not everyone's going to react to the news. So he's going to be 18% owned because there are plenty of people that still have them in his lineup at three o'clock. So yes, because at three o'clock, he was going to be 30% owned because he was the only value on the slate. Now we have a ton of other crap now he should only be 6% owned. So yes, it does show 6% owned in our projections. But I'm telling you, it's going to be more like 18% owned because I know how human beings are. And then once you take that into account, you have to adjust all the other ownerships. So next, next thing you know, like one, it's a domino effect. Now, how are you going to react to that? Like To me, I, I believe I'm good at that aspect of the game. So my lineups are going to be better leveraged than your lineups if you're just going to go blindly
1: by whatever the ownership projections are at the time. Projecting ownership is the hardest thing in NBA. It's not even close. Like, I, I think that at this point, I have a pretty good grasp of minutes and, and like minutes aggregates and stuff like that. I think that I have a really good grasp of um, applying boosts both manually and algorithmically through different like positional stuff and everything like that. I think that I build a pretty damn good model. The hardest part is ownership. And the reason why the hardest part is ownership is because you could be dead on thirty minutes before the slate. One guy gets ruled out, you cannot like you you straight up cannot build an ownership like model that if somebody gets ruled out six minutes before the slate, you can update it that quick. You just can't because like if especially if it's like somebody who is relatively expensive, not not even like super expensive. Like let's say uh, Mike Conley, right? Like seventy. 400, 7,500, something like that, Mike Conley gets ruled out six minutes before the slate. Not only does that affect the other people in his range, it also affects uh, the people who are his backups, the people in their range. So like if you did have, you know, 30% owned player that is uh, 4K, right? Like Dennis Smith Jr. or some bad chalk like that or something like that is 30% owned. Uh well, okay, now Joe Ingalls jumps right into that range as well. He's forty two hundred and all of a sudden he projects for twenty seven fantasy points because Mike Conley's out. So Dennis Smith Jr., his his ownership likely tanks quite a bit, takes off half percent. Joe Ingles jumps up. What do you do about uh Rodney Hood? Or no, not Rodney Hood. Who's yeah. Clarkson. Yeah. What do you do about Clarkson? Okay. Well, he's like 6K. So now his ownership jumps up. Now guard ownership is like going through the roof. Maybe people don't take Dennis Smith Jr. anymore because they want Luca and Clarkson instead. It is so hard. It is so hard. Um, especially like I, I try to use aggregates for my baselines for ownership. So like if one site doesn't update quick enough, <laughs> my God. Right. And you don't have I anything. Have, it's worthless. Yeah. Now I have somebody who's like 36% projected on one of like the five sites that I use for an aggregate baseline. And like, well, that baseline is boofed, you know? Right. You like
0: also have the opposite where the, the news changes and one site, like, we, like, you'll see, like, it will have it, Giannis gets ruled out, right? Giannis, yeah. Giannis is out and, and Drew Holiday's out. And then you'll see, like, Middleton's 8,300. And his ownership on RG R- R- as of that moment is like one percent. Yeah, It's two percent. And then five minutes later, it's still one percent. It's like no, it's not going to be one. Trust me, it's not going to be <laughs> one two percent. It takes time for these things to update, mm-hmm. right? So if you're looking at, depending on who's updating throughout the industry, if you see you have to, you have, to have the the know the wherewithal to know that that may, now maybe 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 Milton projected for uh, for seven X now is uh, is not going to be two percent owned in the small forward spot. That's like, why that's why the discussion
1: the, the discussion of like that that's why I love my community so much over at Paytered and like that's why like you and your rotor grinders Discord as well like being able to say oh no 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 like just expect Middleton to be like 40% owned now. And and like having that like you said wherewithal and like the the sense of understanding where that ownership is going to go to that's huge for for a lot of people that like you can't just look at the projections. There's so much nuance that comes into it. And like, that's what that, this whole discussion has been about. In MLB, you don't necessarily need that nuance. In NBA, you need that nuance. To my guys like Fast Eddie Fear, like I respect the hell out of that guy because he, he is nuance in NBA. Like he understands NBA to that level. You understand the game of NBA to that level and understanding like the. I, I know that if, if
0: in a situation where like Giannis, gets ruled out and middle to, like, uh, now I'm looking at, okay, now we're going to have a lot more eight, a mid, a mid tier player at small forward. We've gotten rid of Giannis at, at the power forward spot. So now more people are going to pay it for Luca because mm-hmm. he's in a guard spot or Westbrook or web, like just how the lineup dynamics are going to, the construction dynamics are going to change. Like I could, I could figure that out in in a minute of yep. the news happening, but as far as like, this guy Curry's out greens out. Uh, who's going to start? Is it going to be Wanamaker? Is it going to be the, like that Warriors situation? Like to me, I just rely like Noto and Tuttle and, and a projections team, Andy means like you deal with it. You figure, yeah. figure out what the hell the Warriors are going to do, put in the projections and uh, I'll see whether or not it's worth playing. Then you see the starting lineup come out. Wanamaker's not even in it. And I'm like, like, do you play Nico Mannion or do you play Watermaker off the bench or whatever? It's like, no, I'm getting Watermaker out of all my lineups. Like this, this there's no reason. I, I'm making the call, right? I'm making the call saying this doesn't look. Bazemore's not in the starting lineup. Like I'm, the risk isn't where I see their ownership and most people don't late swap. So I look at like, if we knew the starting lineup for that Warriors team that, that other night, like before lock. Wanamaker would be 4% owned, right? Bazemore would be 4%. Like we would be talking about single digit ownership. Mannion would be 45% owned, right? Toscano Anderson would be 50%. I mean, we know that. So now that it's, we don't get the starting lineup until a half an hour before the game at like 9.30. And I know that 99% of people don't late swap. I'm like, well, Wanamaker's still going to be chalky in Bazemore. Wanamaker and Bazemore are still going to be in lineups. Uh, and that, and look what ends up happening. They were still in lines. I mean, but if you just updated, if you did your calculations based on ownership at that point, it would probably reverse. It would probably lower Bazemore and Watermaker's ownership way too much unless you manual, manually intervene and say, no, you're right. Mathematically, they shouldn't be. Wanamaker should not be 30% owned here mathematically. But He's going to end up being like twenty six to twenty eight percent owned because only two percent of the people are going to switch. I mean, like it's it's just not going to happen. So, so that's that looking. So that's like that's why when I talk about projections, the player projections are the things that I I outsource. So, like whatever the projections are, the projections are. I I, I deal with it. Whatever the team says, that's the range of outcomes. Let me just see that the ownership projections, which we don't. We don't get, we don't get the cover here on the pregame show that often because truthfully at eleven o'clock in the morning on an NBA slate it doesn't there matter no ownership this early man right you're really not going to get ownership projections but I could take a look I mean that's why I just look and I go that the, the slate before the before the break goes Ty Jerome is going to be thirty yeah, percent yeah once everyone gets ruled out he he, he ain't going to be the truck anymore but you could look at that and and you could sense what it's going to be you could run three hundred lineups and go who fits in more than others. You can aggregate projections and see what what happens there. So I don't need to know an exact number at that point. But if you're building lineups where you're using ownership sum as a blunt tool, you're going to get, you're getting into a lot of trouble if you're not manually considering lineups where where you're trying, you're running, you're running your lineups at 10 minutes before lock and the ownership projection for Chris Middleton in that Yannick's example has not been updated. So Chris Middleton shows is 3% owned. So maybe you're not showing, those lineups aren't even showing up because they're too low owned for you. It's like, dude, no. Or you're building, you're you're putting in Chris Middleton 3% as a a leverage play. Like, dude, the guy's going to be the chalkiest guy in the slate. He's not going to be 3% owned. So your ownership sum is going to show up as, oh, look, it's 140 no, 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 no. It's 175. Like Chris middle, that, that 3% there is not, is not what you think it is. So being able to adjust like that, that I consider that to be my strength. I, uh, reacting to what my opponents are doing. I think it's very similar. I, I, I listened to uh, bet the process, which is a uh, uh, Rufus Peabody. And Jeff Mond does a, a sports betting show about the process, not about picks. Uh. And they were talking about the difference between uh, originators and steam chasers. Now the originator is a model builder. Someone that is like, I'm going to take all this data and analyze it to try to predict an outcome, to try to, you know, how many points should this team be favored by? What's the, what's the, what, what's the sharp line? What's, you know, what, what's the efficiency of the lines on the market? And then a steam chaser is an arbitrager, a day trader type, where I don't know anything about the teams. I don't know anything about the players, but I'm going to see where the money is moving. And I want to get to the, I want to, I want to arbitrage. I want to get to the, I want to buy this at seven points before it goes to five and a half.
1: CLB, homie. Right.
0: Like, right. Closing line value, stuff like that, where you don't even need to know anything about the sport. You could just put up a Don Best screen and kind of like, like which way is the money moving? And then knowing the nuances of the books and what, what, where the originators are betting and stuff like that. Like that's how those people make money. Now, to me, I view myself as that style of DFS player. While James, you, you'd be the, the model builder. You're, you're the originator. You're the, I'm going to put together a model that's going to say that Gio Carlos Stanton has a 26.5% chance of hitting a home run today. And then looking to see what the lines of him hitting a home run and then betting appropriately. And me, I'm just, uh, I could, I could look and go, well, where, where, where's the market going and where's the market inefficient and where can I find those inefficiencies of the market? And I just, I'm just looking at movement. I'm looking at charts. I'm looking at the same thing with the ownership of like, dude. I know that Watermaker is going to be overowned now, so how could I get off of him and get leverage elsewhere? It's like, technically, well,
1: technically, I, well, I, what well, do you know? I don't need to know anything about the sport in order to do that. Technically, Watermaker was always going to be overowned if he was owned. Well, yeah, your watermakers for- uh, Watermaker truck never works, right? <laughs> 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 never ever works. But yeah, you're right. It, it's. uh And I I think that I am one of the people that certainly I like as an originator, I think that I do build very good, unique modeling opportunities. Um, But at the same time, uh, I do value quite a bit Vegas, Vegas info, like my, my PGA model is entirely based on Vegas info um, because I don't know anything really about sport. And and I don't feel that I need to know anything about sport because like Vegas does a pretty good job of like putting out lines on top five finish, top 10 finish, whatever. Um, and spotting the market inefficiencies in terms of DFS, of saying, okay, well, Rory McElroy is, you know, he's top five in terms of top finish percentage, and um, the books like him, but he's only going to be four percent owned. Okay, play play Rory. You know, it, I mean, it's it's not that hard in terms of like PGA and stuff like that. I actually do very much appreciate the idea of steam chasing in sports that. I don't think you really need to have a great grasp of how to play that sport. Um, PGA is a good example. MMA is another example where like, you know, you were talking about unique lineups like that. Right.
0: I, 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 France on, on, he was the low, he was, he came in as the lowest owned fighter at like 6%. Which is weird. I, had in, I had him in like 20% of my lineups and I'm like, why, why is the favorite in this fight at 8,500 lower owned than, some of these humongous underdogs, and and I knew I knew right at the, in, in one of the, the Discord chats uh, because he, he never gets a finish right. until he actually did get a finish until this this Saturday he he scored 106 points so it's like I didn't know I didn't know that all I knew is that it's an 85 it's a guy in the mid range that was going to come in low owned I mean I I, I had him projected like 12 to 14 percent owned. And I'm like, eh, is he worth playing at 12 to 14 percent? Well, I could make unique lineups part of it, okay. But when I saw him coming at six percent, I was like, I was, I put my right. I was like, great, give it to yeah. me, right? A favorite that coming in that low And the, the, the female fighter he she came in at like 10 percent on, and I had like double her. I mean, I had some really good lineups if it wasn't for like two other fighters that put up nothings. Yeah, but I had too many in my lineups, but I didn't know anything about the fighters. All I knew is that is. Is the field? This is this is the way I think that it, it maybe it may the wrong way in in 2021. Uh, outside of like uh, someone like Amanda Nunes, DFS players don't tend to roster higher priced female favorites. No, and, but I mean, there's a re- it's not it's not a sexism thing. It's just that there 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 are much there are much fewer finishes mm-hmm. in in women's MMA fights, and there's higher variance. So to pay eighty seven hundred dollars for a basically a fight that, that according to the sports books had a very high likelihood of going to decision, mm-hmm. like yeah I, I get it that the scoring potential is 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 lower, but I, also the ownership is lower. So like why why not why not play her? There you go, and then she put up one hundred and twenty points in a, in a victory. So like is are these the things that I need to know? like what how much do I need to know about MMA? other than I'm focusing on what the field is going to do. Why is the field going to do what the field is going to do? It, is it a logical reason? So at so, some point it is. Some parts of it, yes, it's a logical reason to do so. But is it as, is it the percentage? When people like in NFL, all oh, the wind's going to be 20 miles an hour, can't play the game. It's like, well, there's a point in ownership where you can play the game, right? There's a point where I can't stack against Jacob DeGrom. Well, there, there's, there's there's a point where you can. Like, there's a point where if Jacob DeGrum is 95% owned on a 12-game on slate, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to play some stacks against him. Like, you're just you just opening yourself up to relative value because if he's going to be in 95% of the rosters, I'm going to hope for a bad game. But if Jacob DeGrom is going to be 30% owned, then okay. then Then what's the value in stacking against him now? not as much. So there's going to be there's going to be a line somewhere. And I consider my strength is finding where that line is, that where the line of efficiency is and is the field going to be above or below that? And then if it's going to be too far above, then I'm like get get out of here and if it's too far below, that's when I roster them. And this is where it comes down to I don't predict outcomes. But you would have to admit James that with your models you technically
1: are trying to predict outcomes. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, well, my, so my models, I I actually started out building models. I didn't have projections for my models two years ago. I had ratings. I had, I had players that rated well, you know, in in baseball, I think that projections are pretty silly. Actually. I, I think that players and stacks and, you know, pitchers, like you should look for the highest upside spots, but I didn't build projection models until recently and that's only so that people can enter them into optimizers. That's pretty much the only reason why I have projections. Um, I build models and I build these to identify upside and identify spots where things could happen, where where upside could live, not necessarily where it does, because a median projection is is that's exactly what it is. It's median, you know. I, on either side of that, like the median outcome, I I posted on Twitter. I don't know, like a couple weeks ago or something like that. It was like, it was Chris Chiosa, uh, where his median projection was like 14 fantasy points or something like Tyler Johnson was out and there was no Kyrie Irving. And like Chris Chioza's median was 14, but his ceiling based on his range of outcomes, based on what his permanent stuff was, if he were to have like the perfect outcome, his ceiling was going to be like 25 minutes and like 38 fantasy points or something stupid. Like, if if you are looking at things that way, median projections are, are a very, very small piece of the puzzle when you are building out and trying to identify upside. So as much as I am trying to predict outcomes, what I'm really just trying to do is I'm trying to find upside. And then I am looking at, okay, what is the rest of the field going to do? You know, if if I think that the Marlins, if my models have the Marlins having a 6% chance. Or, or let's say 16% chance of being the top scoring overall lineup, you know, some arbitrary number, 16%, and they're only going to be 4% owned, I, I want the Marlins. I, I don't really care about the median projection of the Marlins. I don't even necessarily care about the ceiling projection of the Marlins outside of them having a four times better chance than the field thinks of being the overall score. Because when you're rostering players in DFS, what you're doing is, I mean, straight up you're saying – if you're taking Giannis Antetokounmpo on a lineup, you're saying that he's going to be the highest scoring stud on that slate. You're not doing it because like it because he has a cool name. You're not doing it because the projection is two points better than Luca. You're doing it because you think that he has the best chance of being the top overall scoring stud, and because he fits the lineup and you know things like that. But if he's going to be forty five percent owned and Luca's going to be twelve percent owned. I'm taking Luka, (laughs) the the projection there, like the the four or five point median projection there doesn't matter when I get a 40 percent difference in the ownership of that player. Giannis being significantly overowned in that situation, I, I care a lot more about what the field is going to do and what I think people are going to do in terms of the lineup that they build, the teams that they're going to back. I care a lot more about that and finding the inefficiencies on the lower owned pieces rather than I do actually predicting the outcomes of any individual piece. Right. So, but you, st- but you start with that. I start I do, the opposite. I, I, I come from the opposite perspective. I start. That's, from- and that's because I'm an originator and you're a steam chaser. Right. Cause I'm just that's looking why, at projections. Yeah. So I'm just like, give
0: me the ownership. And then I can go, why is this guy going to be this? And then I, I, we both get to that point we're making plus EV lineups it's just that you start with okay let me project the players yep and then let's see what the field's going to do and i start with let's see what the field's going to do and then oh why is the why is the why is the field going to play 38% garrison matthews today like right. versus some other 3200 dollar guy that like yeah yes the projections would say that matthews is better project better projected but like 30 that dramatically different no so like that's but I start from that side. So I think, I mean, essentially we're both doing the same thing that this is, this is what DFS is. It's not about projecting. It's not about predicting outcomes, but it's also not about just purely like what's the field going to do. And I don't care anything about projections, but I just wanted to at least ponder in MLB that with the inherent high variance and the fact that most players get similar amount of opportunity that, if you, were, if you were to go in with a purely game theory driven approach with no projections that I think you could be the most competitive, maybe not the most profitable, but at least competitive, like you, you, you not be throwing your money away by just like screwing the projections and saying, I'm just what Orioles plus blue Jays plus two pitchers. And however that fits together for 50,000 or whatever, 499. like, You'd be fine, and you'd actually be better off than the people that bang their head against the keyboards.
1: You'd you'd definitely be better off than people who go BVP.
0: Oh yes, oh yeah, BVP, so, yeah. all BVP team, right? <laughs> or the one, just the one-offs and anything like that. It's just, I, it still comes down to I think most of the edge in DFS comes from playing the game of DFS well, and not knowing knowing the sport. Yep. And that's why you should pick up the theory of DFS, the theory of daily fantasy sports, 15 hour audio masterclass talks about all these concepts with me and James. We go through it. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, 15 hours of content. It's a reference guide. This is evergreen. This is not just about NBA or just about MMA or just about NFL or like all these concepts apply to all the sports, or well anything, you could apply this to anything. Apply, apply it to any game. I mean, it's a lot of stuff that I learned in poker. It's the same same type of thing. Backgammon, gin rummy, any any type of any type of game you could play. These concepts apply. So, like theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. Go to theoryofdfs.com to pick that up. There's a longer show than I thought. I thought we were gonna. It's gonna be, uh, you know, oh, what is there to do today? There's nothing to do, so maybe it's going to be a half an hour show, and then we get into discussion. We got the people in the chat chiming in, right? Chiming in. Meet Mr. me, me Plow, Alex Santis here, putting it in. But we'll we'll be. I, I I'm more interested in. Yeah, I think we're both. Uh, James, I think we're both in the mentality of like. Bring on baseball! I'm sick of basketball.
1: Just get me to baseball season, dude.
0: I right, just get just get me to get me the MLB season. But this is the, this is the way it is in, in, for all DFS players because well, you know what's going to end up happening by the end of July.
1: Yeah, man, three months. Three months in, get me to NFL.
0: Yeah, get me to NFL as long as we can just get to NFL season. It would be, be all good. And then NFL starts, and it's like just get me to NBA season. <laughs> It all gets better then. And it just, the cycle goes around and
1: around. So James paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Yep. Paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Um, You can find my work over at paydirt.ghost.io. I am actually going to be doing something special this week. I'm going to be opening up the community discord to the public for a week. Um, It's something that I think is a really big part of why a subscription over at my site is important. The discussion that happens there, the community there, everything like that. So um, make sure that you look for that on Twitter. I'm going to be posting a link so that people can get in um, and just come see what all the fun is about. So make sure that you don't miss out on that. So hit the hit the thumbs up button on the way out. I'm done with my
0: apple juice. That's how long we went. The apple juice is gone. I have to get another one now. So hit the thumbs up, thummy thumbs on the way out the door. <clears throat> As I sneeze, bless you, and, and say. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. I don't know what the hell we'll be talking about. Come join the chat tomorrow. There's still no slate. There's no James. It'll just be me. And I'll be answering all the questions that you were afraid to ask today or ever or whatever, or the same questions you always ask. And I've probably given an answer before, but that's fine. I don't mind answering the same questions over and over again. Uh, But uh, check that out tomorrow on another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.